0: On this show, we discuss crimes that are often graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the second Crime Biscuit this week. This one is called The Crucifix Killer. I'm your host, Paulette, and this is Crime Biscuit. I can't promise that this will be an extra long episode, but it is a second one, so baby steps. I'll get there. This is a little nugget of a crime biscuit, 15 to 20 minutes, good enough to get you some entertainment while running an errand to the grocery store. It's a lot of work to research, and I don't know how other podcasters do it, but I tend to type up my notes my entire episode, so they're at least mostly coherent. Winging it from notes, for me, might lead to some serious rambling. I don't read every word I write, but I try to make sure I stick as close to it as I can, so that I touch on all the major points. Enough explaining. On to the episode. Karen Walsh grew up in Galway in a middle-class family full of high achievers. Education was a big deal in the family unit. Her father was a primary school principal in a Loreia school. Karen went to Salt Hill Secondary School in Galway before getting her degree at NUI Galway in biochemistry. Her sister Sally was a general practitioner in West Ireland, and her brother Barry studied medicine, then went to work in London. She had two other sisters, Elaine and Geraldine. Elaine studied clinical psychology, and Geraldine was a teacher working in the Midlands. It's pretty apparent that schooling and achieving are definitely a large part of this family dynamic. Despite the proclivity for higher education and learning, Karen broke ranks for a little bit, After getting her degree in biochemistry, Karen opted to be trained as a beautician after college. Once she finished that training, she went to England, where she attended the University of Sunderland, and received her pharmacy degree. In the world of pharmaceuticals, she met Richard Durkin. He was a high-profile Dublin executive. He was a tax consultant, an auditor, a chartered accountant, which I'm guessing is like a CPA here in the States. He was also a financial advisor working as a partner at Delaney and Durkin. This was a firm that provided advice to other businesses and entrepreneurs. Richard was also appointed by former health minister Mary Harney to the Council of the Pharmaceutical Society of Ireland, or the PSI, and it was the regulatory body for pharmacists. Karen and Richard got married in 2004, and in 2006, they had a son, James. Moving up in the world, they were able to rub elbows with the higher levels of Dublin society. Case in point... During the work week, they resided at Berkeley Court Hotel, which is a luxury place in Dublin. While they lived there, they rented out their house in the city. In 2007, the pair bought themselves a holiday house in Newry, so they could go chill. If five bedrooms and a price tag of £400,000 is in your reach, then you too can have a chill pad. To those looking at the pair, it would seem that they had it all. But like a lot of things in life, it really isn't all that it appeared. And Karen had a bit of a history in Newry long before she moved to Dublin Road with her husband and young son. Shortly after getting her pharmacy degree, Karen had moved to Camlo, which is just five miles away from Newry. She was there to do some on-the-job training required after getting a pharmacy degree. I think in the States it would be like an internship. So before she got serious with Richard, Karen had a thing with a man who lived in Newry. This wasn't going to be a very long-lasting relationship, though, because her family was very much against the two of them being a couple. She also earned herself a reputation for heavy drinking and some bizarre and erratic antics. Neighbors were none too pleased that Karen would take off on long drinking binges and be gone for days. Maybe let the lady live her life, right? That's what you might be thinking. Well... What bothered the neighbors was that Karen had a Jack Russell Terrier and the dog would be left locked in the house for a week with no food or water and no one to take it out. The neighbors were so worried and concerned about the little dog that they would shove food through the mail slot so that it would have something to eat. And when they could not take it anymore, they called the police. Fortunately, the dog was finally taken away from Karen. The neighbors on Dublin Road were delighted when she finally moved away. One of them said, quote, everyone in the street had a party. Now, years later, Karen is married and she is back in Newry, and things really are not going to get any better. Although she was thought of as a socialite, she rarely left the house. It's hard to be social if you're alone. The reason she preferred to stay at home was that she wanted to drink and drink and drink, and she didn't want any company. This is a supposedly doting mother of a toddler who spends Christmas Eve pounding down straight vodka and arguing with her husband. She also made people in the neighborhood nervous. A few of them remembered that this supposed professional left a poor little dog alone to starve for a week, and she also made one of her neighbors especially nervous. 81-year-old Mrs. Rankin was afraid of Karen, it seemed, so much so that she would always have another neighbor come over whenever Karen would show up so Mrs. Rankin would not be alone with her. Now I'm gonna take a second and say this. In my research, I found Mrs. Rankin's name as either Marie or Mayor. Equally, I find both and they differ even on news sites. So I really don't know for sure what her first name is unless in the UK, Mayor and Marie are the same. So rather than be disrespectful, I'm going to continue to call her Mrs. Rankin. Mrs. Rankin was a sweet, gentle lady who was enjoying her retirement surrounded by her kids, grandkids, and lots of friends. She also happened to be one of the few people in the neighborhood that actually met Karen Walsh face to face. Seems that Karen was a bit of a phantom to the other neighbors. Probably, I'm guessing, because she was holed up in her house drinking in her free time. One woman who lived close by said she never saw Karen at all. Another neighbor pointed out that Karen wasn't seen out in bars or at the hotel drinking. Everyone just kind of knew that she liked to drink alone. This was not true, however, of Richard Durkin, Karen's husband. People saw him frequently going in and out of the house and when neighbors would have interactions with him, he was a friendly person. Now, Mrs. Rankin, on the other hand, was the exact opposite when it came to enjoying adult beverages. A neighbor once recalled, That if Mrs. Rankin popped by at Christmas and you poured her a, quote, thimble of liquor, it'd still be there when she left. Everyone knew Mrs. Rankin pretty much just drank tea. Keep that in mind as we go down the road. So with Karen's kind of reclusive behavior in mind, for some reason, she decides that on Christmas Eve of 2008, she's going to go visit Mrs. Rankin. And she takes a liter bottle of vodka with her for this visit. Remember, Mrs. Rankin is a little bit afraid of Karen, but she is also a very sweet person. So sweet that she even bought a little gift for Karen and Richard's son, James, who was just two years old at the time. Mrs. Rankin was supposed to go to a family get-together on Christmas Eve, but she wasn't feeling well, so she decided not to attend. Instead, she remained home and used her nebulizer to help with her breathing. In the late hours of Christmas Eve or early morning hours of Christmas Day, 2008, Mrs. Rankin was attacked. Later that day, she would be found dead by her brother-in-law. She had been beaten and sexually assaulted. She sustained eight broken ribs in the attack. And the weapon? A crucifix. It was used to not only beat her, but to sexually assault her. The crucifix belonged to Mrs. Rankin, who was a devout Catholic. The ferocity of the attack was so severe that the corn of thrones depicted on the crucifix were also visible in the indentations on Mrs. Rankin's chin. Who would do such a thing to her? Well, someone in a rage would. The attack was frenzied, which would imply a rage killing. And yet the scene had been meticulously cleaned up, which would indicate someone cold and calculating. The biggest question was why? What motive could there be for attacking, sexually assaulting, and murdering an 81-year-old woman unless the sexual assault was a red herring? As word got out about what happened in the neighborhood, people started gathering on their terraces, everyone except Karen Walsh and her husband. Neighbors found this very strange. Also strange, one person reportedly saw Karen in Mrs. Rankin's house. In a window. It looked like Karen was fiddling with something in the window, like maybe she was fixing something. And then she just closes the blinds. In the days right after, Karen starts babbling about suspicious Eastern Europeans lurking about the neighborhood. No one else living in the area seemed to remember seeing any suspicious characters roaming about. Since Karen was seen at the house, and since the evil Eastern Europeans could it be located on December 28th, police arrest... Karen Walsh for the murder. Her response to being arrested for murder? Quote, I can't believe this. It is bizarre. Problem was with this arrest, they had no idea what could have set Karen off that would lead to the murder of Mrs. Rankin. The only idea they can come up with is that maybe Mrs. Rankin had spoke to Karen about how she was ruining her life, meaning how Karen was ruining her own life, It was pretty obvious she had a drinking problem. I mean, for Lord's sake, she brought a liter of vodka with her to Mrs. Rankin's house and sat on the end of the elderly woman's bed, downing it while she was there to visit. In fact, at one point she claims Mrs. Rankin was drinking with her. Remember the thimble full of liquor thing earlier? I doubt Mrs. Rankin was drinking the vodka with Karen. This leads us to think maybe this was a drunken rage and the crucifix was used because It was nearby. And the sickening sexual assault with the crucifix would make it seem like it was a sexually motivated crime. By the time April 2009 rolls around, the police and the prosecutors are positive that they have their culprit and they want to proceed with murder charges against Karen. After she's charged with murder, rumors start circulating that Karen has been looking into plastic surgery and asking questions about fake passports. You might wonder, what good does that do you if you're in jail? Well, Karen wasn't in jail. She was out on bail. Once authorities get wind of these rumors, though, they re-arrest Karen because they consider her a flight risk. Now, mind you, they arrested her in the end of 2008, but the trial doesn't happen until 2011. On Thursday, the 22nd of September, at Belfast Crown Court, Karen Walsh denies that she killed Mrs. Rankin. She claims that Mrs. Rankin was alive and well when she left after her visit. Sue Woodruff, a forensic biologist, says otherwise. She says DNA that was found on Mrs. Rankin's chin was Karen's DNA. There was also DNA on Mrs. Rankin's breasts and on the crucifix, and that also matched Karen. Sue Woodruff said that the odds of that DNA coming from anyone other than Karen Walsh, was one in a billion. Hell, winning the lottery has better odds than that. On October 4th of 2011, Karen Walsh is found guilty of the murder of Mrs. Rankin. The judge adjourned and did not pass sentence yet until the victim impact statements could be given to the court. 24 days later, Karen is sentenced to life in prison with a minimum of 20 years before parole could be considered. Judge Hart said, quote, She had inflicted a brutal and sustained assault on a frail and vulnerable pensioner. He made a statement earlier to the fact that he didn't believe Karen intended to kill Mrs. Rankin, even going so far as to say that Karen tried to resuscitate Mrs. Rankin at one point. But before you get all riled up at Judge Hart, he also said this. The exceptional vulnerability of Mrs. Rankin and the deliberately degrading way in which she was treated after her death mean the minimum term must be a severe one to reflect the gravity of this truly heinous crime. Karen Walsh's life was seemingly in tatters. Her fancy holiday home was rented out, her pharmacy business in Dublin closed, her license revoked, and her reputation gone but that didn't stop her from making another attempt by appealing her conviction, which meant Mrs. Rankin's family had to go through the horror again. Senior judges in Belfast were not going to have it. In June of 2015, they rejected Karen's claims. The claims were that the jury was misdirected on DNA evidence, on Karen's level of intoxication, time of death, and the intentions or motive of the mystery person that attacked Mrs. Rankin. Lord Chief Justice Sir Declan Morgan said, We have no sense of unease about the safety of this conviction. Karen will get to rot where she is for at least a couple of decades, and I sure hope when the minimum 20 years is up, she is not granted parole. She may have had a drinking problem, but there has to be some serious lack of humanity in you to beat an elderly person to death with a family crucifix and then take it to the next level of wicked by sexually assaulting her with it after you've killed her. I'm sorry, but some people just can't be fixed. And I'm of the opinion that Karen Walsh is one of them. That's it for this episode. Hang tight for the final crumb. Just a little teaser for an upcoming episode. I have a personal connection to a family member of a victim brutally killed in a triple homicide. He is going to sit down with me and give me all the insight on his sister's life, the crime, and the aftermath. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you in the near future. In the meantime, you can follow me on Facebook or Instagram at CrimeBiscuit or send me an email at acrimebiscuit at gmail.com. Here's your final crumb. Don't leave your dog alone for a week. Don't drink a bottle of vodka just because you can. Don't blame Eastern Europeans for horrific crimes basically, don't be a Karen. Thanks for joining me. See you next time.